This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. We have Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein and with me today, our vet, Dr David Tabret. Good afternoon, Jane. And what's your topic today? Cats as pets. How much care do they really need? Oh, look mm. forward to that. And Danny Boss is with us as well. Hello, Danny. Hi, Jane. And today we're going to be talking about pet events, but we've also got a special... We've got a special breeder. We've had um, some callers ask, let's get some information on Maltese dogs. Maltese so dogs. we've got a Maltese dog breeder to talk to. Sounds great. Now, uh, just before we get launched into Cats as Pets, I should tell you that there's been an accident on Maitland Road at Hexham. A four-wheel driver's rolled and has ended up on the median strip. It's just outside St Joseph's Home, so if you can avoid that area, it's affecting traffic in both directions. David. Now, I've got two cats now. Ah, well done. Yes, we adopted a mother and her kitten. Now, uh, as a question, did you get them as young youngsters or older cats? Yeah, the uh, mother was uh, Australian undersexed, but she was about twelve months old. So I think it was her first litter, and the, and then the, the little kitten that came along. So we've actually they're all desexed now, and they're putting on weight. We that's that's part of what I was going to talk about today because it's really funny with cats. See, they're naturally a hunting species, so out in the wild. Um, in their natural environment. I'm not talking about feral cats here. I mean, in their natural environment, cats are a hunting species. So they have to run around all day. They have to be stealthy. They're out at night. That's how they survive. And they survive on... They're pure carnivores, so they have to eat meat. Their diet has to contain a relatively high amount of protein. So what do we do? We put them inside and keep them in. We feed them. The food's always there. If If anyone's got cats, and we know plenty of listeners have, of course... If they're like my cats, the food is on tap, just about. It's there all the time. They get all the treats chopped up and everything. And, uh, yes, the cats sleep on the bed. Or, well, actually, they determine where they sleep, wherever. They never have to do anything. We clean up after them. They've got their litter tray there. And so they can become very lazy and lie on the lounge. And, of course, then they start to put on weight. And then we see things like diabetes, kidney disease and heart disease. And believe it or not, we are seeing increasing numbers of cats with arthritis. So these little 4 kilo, 5 kilo, uh, or even 3 or 4 kilo cats on these little bones grow to about 8 kilos because they're not doing exercise and their bones just can't take it. The joints can't take it. So they end up with all these problems that we see that we think are just simply Western civilization problems that many of their owners suffer, I think, me included. So... We have to be very careful. Um, so how do you exercise a cat? That's the number one thing. Well, if you're lucky, you can actually take them for a walk. And you can actually get a little harness that you can take them along. They don't really respond to a, a collar so much, or certainly not to, say, a, the um, collars that we talk about with dogs. But they, they sometimes walk along. I did have the experience of taking my cat for a walk once. She likes that because she likes to explore the neighbourhood usually not with me, um, and cats have this natural range, we call it a range, of um, around about they'll go two house blocks quite happy, they'll go two street blocks, mm, okay, and they will even go out to two kilometres, that's their you know, roaming territory, but then they're likely to get bashed up. So they'd like to be close to home, so what happens is I took the cat for a walk, got two, two houses away from my place and the cat lay down, said I'm not going anymore. 
So luckily, you know, it's not like a 60 kilo dog. You can actually pick the cat up and turn around and go, okay, I'm going to put you back on the lounge because obviously that's where you want to be. David, it is something you don't see that often, people walking their cats. And I think it should happen more often, shouldn't it? Well, we, you know, you have to have a cat that's probably, you, you can't do it with an adult cat. Mm. If they've never done it before, it's not it's going to It's a bit harder happen. to train. Mm. So I've been doing some research about what else you can do. Now, you can get, I don't know, Denny, you'll have to let me know about this, but you could get laser pointers for cats to play. Yes, that's true. Right. And you can actually, you know, you put them on the wall, like you'll point them at the wall and flick them around and the cats love them. And for an older cat, that's a really good way to get them, you know, a bit of energy going 10 minutes, two or three times a day. They'll flip over and turn and run and jump and everything. So that's a that's an excellent way to do something like that. And the, the benefit is that you don't have to get off the, get off the lounge. Now we're talking <laughs> exercise. Perhaps we should extend it to owners exactly, as well. Exactly. The other thing I like is take the food bowl, right, and put it up high so that they have to climb. And it does two things. One is they're less likely to just go, oh, I'll have a bit of food, you know, I'm walking <laughs> past, a few more calories. And the other thing is that they're going to expend a bit of energy getting up to the, you know, wherever that you're going to put it, like top of the fridge or somewhere on a cupboard. Or maybe you've got a really nice elaborate cat climbing tower and that's another way for them to, to go up and do a bit of exercise. Um, now that's a you, great idea, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, now, could, I could climb a tree for my dinner. Maybe that might work. It, <laughs> It'd be a very tall tree. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, the other thing is you can see is you'll get um, cat enclosures, and um, there are some that you can buy commercial or you can make them up yourself. Someone will come and put them in, or you can do them yourself if you're a bit handy. I've even seen houses that have got, like, you know, an enclosure almost all the way around the house with, like, tunnels into the house. The cats can come and go as they please, things like that. But you can get freestanding ones. Uh, you can get ones that are attached to the side of the house. They can go out through a little doorway. They're outside, but they're enclosed. You can put climbing towers in it. You can put trees in it and so on, mm. and they love it. It gets them outside in the fresh air. They're doing a little bit more exercise as well, and they're getting that outside environment for themselves. So they don't need an incentive to go out and use it? Oh, no. No, no, they love it. They love it. I've, you can uh, even get um, verandas. that they, You can get the kits will actually make up to... Say you've got one end of a veranda that you hardly ever use, well, you could have that made up as your little cat enclosure. So they come in various sizes. just depends on your budget, really, what you want to do. So there's just a few ideas. Um, And the other thing, too, is, Jane, they'll actually sit there and look at the birds. And the birds are safe and uh, the cat's safe. And I did read something that someone said, why don't you put a little bird feeder outside the cat enclosure? (laughs) I think that could be torture for both of them. But some of the native birds in Australia are a bit feisty, so they'd probably quite enjoy the experience of um, stirring the cat up a bit. (laughs) So exercise your cat. Exercise your cat. And that'll keep away all those things like the diabetes and, you know, cancer. It reduces cancer risk because it reduces obesity. Reduces liver disease, kidney disease and arthritis. And joint problems. Yes. That's the joint, the arthritis. That's right. Now, before we uh, just pause for a slight moment, I should say that, of course, we will be taking your calls a little later in the program after half past 12. So get your questions ready if you've got something you'd like to ask David about cats, but other things as well to do with vet type things. And last week we did offer a prize for one of our callers. And we'll do the same this week. 
But and we forgot to back announce who the winner was. And last week's winner was Cynthia. That's right. Cynthia rang up about... Um, oh, i go back and check my notes. Um, her little Bichon and the nail cutting and yes. problems. So, Cynthia, if you're having. listening, do give us a call now, mm. 49216216, and we'll tell you how you can get your... Uh, your prize from last week's call. And, of course, we will have another prize, first aid for dogs or cats. First aid for dogs or cats. A special interview coming up. Well, I was doing my research on the breed, the Maltese dog. I was interested to find that it's one of the oldest breeds around, Jane. And we're looking at something that's existed for around 8,000 years. 6,000 years before Christ. The little white fluffy Yes, bundle. exactly. And in most cases, in, in that kind of original form, and the ancient Romans and Greeks know of it as the Maltese. That's what they called it because it was, it was uh, from Malta, but not necessarily originated from Malta. They, they think it's originated in southern Europe somewhere, but not necessarily in Malta, according to the information I have. That's incredible. That's interesting, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. But we've got more information to learn about the Maltese dog from Gwen Hall, who is a, a breeder on the central coast of Maltese dogs. Thank you for joining us, Gwen. Thank you, Danny. It's fine. Now, Gwen, first of all, how long have you been breeding this breed of dog? I've been breeding and exhibiting uh, Maltese for 26 years. 26 years, so that's yeah. quite a while, it long is, time. Yes. And in your history, in terms of exhibiting, uh, you've you've bred champion and grand champions. That's right. You've had quite a yes, lot of quite wins. Quite a few champions, actually, yes, and um, two uh, grand champions, yes. Okay. First of all, can you describe to us what the dog looks like? Well, a Maltese only comes in white, and they grow to the size uh, they can be anything from 7 to 10 inches in height. Yeah. Um, and has a glorious white coat. That coat is, is the amazing bit too, isn't it? It is. It's the icing on the cake. <laughs> now, you were telling me a bit more detail about the coat. It's not quite like most dog coats. That's right. The coat is hair, not fur, and it's the closest thing that you can get to human hair. And right. And it's as such as far as brushing and shampooing and conditioning. Um, and as long as it's fresh, the same as what your normal hair is, well, you won't have any knots, and uh, it's quite easy to maintain. Okay. And in terms of the breed, what are some more information you can tell us on why it was bred and how it's been used over the centuries? Well, over the centuries, it was originally bred for um, the companion uh, ship for the ladies, Um they used to breed them quite small in the earlier years, and they used to have carry them around in the sleeves of their gowns. Yes, and okay. They, yes. They, I've heard that before with cavaliers as well. They would carry them in those big sleeves in coaches yes, yes, and so forth. Yes. Does, does that mean that Paris Hilton was not the first celebrity <laughs> to carry no, a dog? No, somebody else got him before us. <laughs> About 4,000 years before. Yes, yes. In the information I have, Gwen, it says that they became comforter dogs because of their small size. They were warm, affectionate, easy to live with, and so they would easily sit on the lap and, and be comforter dogs. Oh, listen, they love being on the lap of anybody. Um, they're great with the children, great with the families. Great for the elderly. The company that they keep uh, for the elderly is just absolutely fantastic. And the way you treat them is the way that they will behave. Now, some people might know of, of the Maltese dog as being a bit yappy. You know, they bark and they run up the corridor. Can you tell us a bit more information? Is that 
um, part of the breed, or is it just more it, about training? It is. It can be, yes. But again, as an intelligent dog, they're very easy to be trained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to bark at everything, but they're a great um, dog to let you know if anybody's, you know, strangers around or at your front door or something. But as I said, they are intelligent dog and very easy to train. Okay. What are some common health problems for the breed? Common health problems, their teeth would be their main problem mm-hmm. um, if, if not looked after. But if uh, treated like when you bath them, part of their bathing program is to have their, brush, their teeth brushed. Simple with a soft, ordinary human toothbrush. Yep. It's ordinary human uh, toothpaste uh, that will uh, stop any decaying okay. yep and the other thing is um, slipping patellas now that's a slipping of a knee joint which can be found in some lines oh okay yes so very rare but it is there and when you say it can be found in some lines obviously a lot of the registered breeders would be looking at uh, making sure they don't use oh, those they're, lines yeah, they're, yes they're making sure they don't they don't want you know they don't want that in the line yep. um, and you know they're only mainly breeding with dogs that do not throw those things. Um, which then raises the question, in your opinion, why would it be wise to uh, buy a Maltese from a, a registered breeder? Because the registered breeder knows exactly what the backgrounds are of their dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also supply the um, purchaser with a copy of the pedigree and let them know everything that is around the dogs, show them the mother, the father, the grandmother, the grandfather, and, and let them see as to what size that little puppy will grow into. Yes. Um, when, when buying from an unregistered breeder, you don't know what you're getting. Uh, you also have a booklet that goes out with your Maltese puppies. <laughs> yes, I do. I call it my, um, my Maltese manual. Okay. I always, when I sell a puppy, I sell my manual. I give them my man- manual with it. Yes, it comes from the time they leave home, leave my place, um, exactly what they've got to do. Now, some of us um, might call the Maltese dog Maltese Terrier. Is that correct or not? No, that's so incorrect. Nothing to do with a terrier at all. Okay. Yes. So it is officially just Maltese dog. It's a Maltese dog. That's it. Okay. That's it. Yep. And in what kind of uh, people or families do you recommend uh, would suit a Maltese dog? Well, children, anything from the age of four up, mm-hmm. um, are fine with dogs. As, you know, uh, with a Maltese, they are a small dog, and they're normally a house dog. Yes. Uh, so anybody that wants anything like for companionship in the house or around the house, um, families, um, elderly, um, it's just a, an all-round. Fantastic little dog. Dog. And yep. one last question, Gwen. Tell us a funny moment. Oh, a funny moment. A funny moment was when I went up to um, Darwin where my grandchildren are living, were living at the time. Yes. And I'd given them two little puppies. And they were putting them in a doll stroller and sitting them in the, uh, sitting them in it, laying them down and putting really heavy blankets on them. And they, they weren't perturbed one little bit. And <laughs> then it was time to have our lunch and um, my little grandchildren set up their little plastic tables and chairs and that's where their little doggies sat to have their dinner. <laughs> that would have <laughs> been amazed. a sight. <laughs> so they're fun to be with. That's great. They are, yep. yep. Thank you very much for your time okay, and information. Okay, I appreciate thank you. That. I hope it helps. Thank you. Around. Thank you very much. Bye.
a Gwen Hall, breeder of Maltese dogs. <laughs> Maltese got dogs, that's correct, Jane. And look, if any listeners out there want a specific breed that we can talk about, please let us know, and we can certainly get a breeder on air and get some information on that breed of dog, or and cat, or any species of animal, that mm. pets that we have. Sounds good. Mm. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and I'm Jane Klein. I have with me David Tabret, who is our pet vet, and he is very anxious to hear from you. If you've got a question you'd like an answer to, he'll, uh, we'll do our best, 49216216, and Danny Boss is with us as well. Danny, what sort of events are happening? Okay, last week I mentioned about the Hunter Animal Rescue 2010 calendar. Alicia from Hunter Animal Rescue emailed me this week. She said, can you mention it again? We would like to have all these entries for photos of dogs and cats and send them in and it closes on Monday the 26th of October. So almost last few days, your chance to get your possible pet onto a calendar. Fantastic news. HunterAnimalRescue.com.au is the website. Now, in terms of events, there's a few things happening. One is the second annual Doggy Day Out in the Hunter Valley. So if you're thinking of taking a trip down to our wine region locally, Sunday's the day to do it with your pet because on the Sunday the 25th of October is the Doggy Day Out, as mentioned, and it is at the Calais Estate Winery, which is Palmer's Lane, Pocolburn. Starts from 10.30. There'll be live music, barbecue, wine tasting, mobile dog wash, lots of dog stalls. They do require a gold coin donation for entry too, though. So, so a bit does of that fun. mean you can get your dog washed? Or yes. Or you just see... Oh, you can. <laughs> yes. A shampooed and set? <laughs> yes, because there's got they've got the mobile dog wash there. Exactly. So... Don't, don't wash it at home. Take it to the winery region and get it washed for you. Secondly, the RSPCA is also hosting an open day at the Rutherford Complex this Sunday, and it's from 9.30 to 2 p.m., and there will be shelter tours and activities for everyone. That means pets and visitors, human visitors. It's a, it's a great complex up there. It's re- you know They built it not so long ago. It's fairly new. Yes. They've got everything there, Yep. and all the... Um, abandoned animals and, and stray animals and also the um, ones that, uh, you know, the inspectors take. They're looked after there. Okay. So, they, yeah, it's a really, it's huge. It's great. It's a worthwhile visit. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Now, Danny, didn't you mention that uh, you were doing some special judging oh, yes. during the week? Last, last weekend, I, I, I was invited a couple of weeks before that to judge... Um, a pet event that was held by Rainbow Visions at Gregson Park in Hamilton. So I I had lots of fun there on the weekend because we were judging pets that were, you know, fancy dress, cutest pet, the pet that looked most like its owner, uh, the butcher's dog. So we had heaps of fun. I enjoyed it. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Was it difficult to choose winners? It is. You know, I hate being put on the spot like that. It is difficult and you have to really look and then have to justify your decision. And people go to go to a lot of trouble to get their pets ready for something like that. They do. Yeah. And lots of fun colours, lots of funny outfits and jewellery. Jewellery on dogs is becoming very popular. The bling. Yeah, lots yeah. of bling. Well, you could put it on your Maltese <laughs> dog, not terrier, Maltese dog. That's right. They go well with bling. Um, next week... Earrings? Oh, no. Perhaps <laughs> bling. Some bling. Yeah, well, no, you could get studded collars and um, diamante. With oh. their name written on it? Yes. So as not to hurt their ears. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, diamonds, spelling out their name. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd let my dog have a diamond 
studded Probably collar. Not. <laughs> I certainly can't afford it. Uh, just a preface to next week is um, I'm going to talk about black cats and Halloween. I know it's not a big thing in Australia, but it's interesting how where it's come from and a little bit of background and the history of that. Oh, excellent. More yeah, cats. Mm. Yeah, and more on cats. Mm. I, I like cats. I think they... They deserve a bit more. So the other, you know, when I was talking before about you know exercising your cat and so on, the most important thing you can do for your pet cat is to love them and you know give them pats and just let they they love to sit on your knee and they'll sit there all night and you just pat them. It's interesting. That's actually uh, what we call purr therapy. And if you are purr, f- purr not Perth, but purr. No, you can As do it. You can do it in. Make. That's right. You can do it in Newcastle. You don't have to go to WA. So you've got per therapy, and it's very relaxing. Now I think there's a study in there. I think someone should look at people's, you know, anxiety levels, and then sit them down with a cat, and then measure their anxiety levels. And I'll tell you what, I think they'd be a lot happier. There you go. So we'll talk about um, Halloween next week as well. Sounds good. Okay, now 49216216 is the number to ring if you have a question you'd like to put to David about your pet. And Stan is has done just that. Hello, Stan. Hello. Um, I just wanted to ask Dave. I've got a seventeen-year-old um, Kelpie cross. Yeah. And he uh, develops these lumps. They're about the size of a ten-cent piece. They don't seem to worry you at all. And. Uh, they're just there, like a fleshy bit of a lump they are, and you can feel them when you're patting him and that. And a month or maybe later, all of a sudden these things just burst, and all the hair around it just falls off. Right. And within a week it's gone, and the hair's grown back there again. Okay. A um, couple of things it could be, but the most likely thing is uh, like a sebaceous cyst, which is where yep. I, or, so next to each hair follicle is a little gland called a sebaceous gland and they produce an oily substance called sebum and that's what comes out on the dog's skin so their skin is a lot more oilier than ours we have sebaceous cysts on our skin as well but we also have sweat glands and so the sweat glands produce a watery fluid sweat obviously and then that mixes so our skin has a combination of oil and water dogs just has the oil so this coat's a bit oilier so what happens sometimes, these sebaceous glands can get blocked up. Like the little duct, they empty um, into the hair follicle, and as it comes up, it can get blockages around the top of the hair follicle, and so then the gland just keeps producing this stuff, and it swells up, and then they burst. Right, they can No, no um, problems with him or that? Well, um, they can... No um, that for them? They can cause some problems if they burst under the skin. Because the you know, sub- these burst outwards all the time. Yes, and he comes to me and he rubs it. You know, he wants me to pull that dead hair off for him and that. And yeah, because uh, what happens is when the swelling happens, the hair follicles underneath that swelling or above that swelling, sorry, um, you know, they're they're under pressure and so the hair falls out. What I would suggest is that you use a benzoyl peroxide shampoo, which is there's. Um, a couple, I think there's only about two that are made for dogs. The one I'm familiar with is Pyaben. Now, the thing about a benzoyl peroxide is that it actually gets down into the hair follicle and cleans them out, and so it, it flushes the uh, the follicles out, and that way the sebum will be able to flow out a bit easier. But it could also be age-related that it's you know a problem at this time. David, could it also happen at change of seasons when their coats are changing too? 
Um, I think it can just happen all year round. Mm. I'm not. Yeah, no, this is all year round. Oh, yeah. I don't think yeah. it's really, you know, one season or the other. But, yeah, uh, Pyaben shampoo is probably yep. the best one, Stan. And right you, you just Thanks apply that. Much, All right. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for your call, Stan. And uh, we have another caller on the line, and that is Mrs. Johnson. Hello. Hello. Question for David? Yes, uh, I own a little Maltese. I was talking to a friend um, on while it was on the radio. Yep. And uh, my little Maltese is uh, a lovable little dog, and I just want to know where, where that really originated from oh daniel danny's done all the research on this this is amazing okay the information i have is that the they don't know exactly where but in the south central european region but even though they're called maltese dogs they didn't necessarily uh, originate from malta they've been there a very very long time but the reason why the Romans and Greeks thought they were from Malta and called them a Maltese dog is because that's where they were traded from, the Maltese ports, and sent across the world. Uh, so we're okay. going back thousands of years here. And as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a breed that's about 8,000 years ago. It is believed that it's descended from a Spitz-type dog, but yes. it's a Spitz. Well, um, a Spitz. Yes. Now, I'm not sure. There's a few different types of spits, like you've got German spits, you've got um, Finnish. Finnish spits, Japanese, Japanese spits. Yep. But that's the information I have. But it's definitely not a terrier, and it's not related to a spaniel either. Sounds like we're going back to um, as far back as records go. By that and yes, uh, I, looked, I looked in my dictionary, mm-hmm. and it said that uh, they were called a lap dog, mm-hmm. um, and they date back to the Greeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the Greeks used to sit them on on their laps, as well as another um, a national. I can't remember if it was the Italians or. They definitely, they definitely existed during uh, yeah the Greeks and the Roman empires. Um, and earliest artifacts that have been found have been found in Egypt from 600 before Christ, mm. 600 BC. Well, there we go. Yes. Oh, very but, interesting. But he, um, uh, I, I live alone, and, and he, uh, my little dog, follows me all around the house. He's a beautiful little pet. <laughs> and it's, they're, gr- uh, they're great companions, aren't they? They yeah. have, they have yeah. such a reputation. Thank you for your call, and uh, it was good to get some more information about the origin. Two NURFM one hundred three point seven ten to one, and you're listening to Two NURFM's Pet Chat. And Diane has rung in. If you've got a question you'd like to put to our pet vet, David Tabret, Diane. Yes, I have, David. I just wanted your um, your ideas on immunisation. We've been reading lately that we possibly over-immunise our pets in Australia, mm-hmm. that they may not need to be immunised every 12 months. What's your opinion? Um, we talked about this a while ago when it came up in the articles in the Sydney Morning Herald. I think it was probably back in July or August. And uh, the Australian Veterinary Association has re- released a position paper or a policy paper on this. Um, it's a very controversial area, obviously. But briefly, just what's, uh, the, to paint out the scenario for people is that um, in the United States there was evidence associated with some various diseases, and I think it really started off in cats, but uh, we've since looked at the problem in dogs and whether there was any relationship between vaccination timing and frequency up until uh, the... Um, 
you know, development of disease, say, you know, in the weeks following. And that's difficult to make those links. But um, on the other hand, we've sort of said, okay, well, are we actually getting protection? In other words, if we vaccinate, how long does that last for? And understandably, um, or, well, there were some reasons why that hadn't been done before, but there are now studies that show that there's, for instance, lifelong protection for uh, distemper um, and periods of protection for, say, three to five years for things like parvovirus and so on. Now, that means that if you vaccinate, then the recommendation is we're saying, OK, vaccinate every three years. That's a very much an individual dog-related thing that you have to assess, and this should be done for any dog that or animal, cat, that's being vaccinated, you assess the disease risk. Now, I remember vaccinating a dog as a puppy that I was concerned about its immune status. It was in an area which had a likelihood of parvovirus infection, and so we actually vaccinated it every two weeks, uh, sorry, every month until six months of age, just to see if we get through that danger period. And I've seen animals that have had three vaccinations as a puppy and still develop parvovirus. And what we're doing with the vaccine is we're stimulating the immune system to respond to that disease in future. And as you rightly pointed out, maybe there's we're overstimulating. I think it really depends on the animal, but now there are uh, vaccination schedules that provide for three-yearly vaccination for some diseases. They do not do all diseases. We do not get protection against kennel cough, which I would have to say is probably the most prevalent uh, disease that we can vaccinate for. I've never seen distemper, and I've been a vet for 21 years or 20 years. Um, I've seen hepatitis, I've seen plenty of parvovirus, and we see kennel cough probably once a week. So that's sort of the spectrum of what we're vaccinating for. The other thing that's a concern is that if people are only going to visit every three years is they're not getting heartworm protection, which needs to be continued, and other things that happen with ageing and um, parasite control like worms, flea control, tick prevention, uh, dental care, uh, all of these things have to be attended to on a regular basis. So just be aware that if you are going to adopt the three-year schedule, and I think it's worth talking to your vet about that, um, because certainly I know that that's happening at the moment, that um, you're still needing to probably visit them at least once a year to make sure these other areas are covered. And um, we'll probably see, I think, the three-year schedule will be adopted over time, which oh. seems to be right now. <laughs> oh, right. No, no. My dog's six, and she's always had her annual injections. Yes. I was just wondering, maybe as they got a little bit older, maybe they didn't need to be immunised as often, but... Well, the schedule, the, yeah, the three-year schedule actually applies from after the first year. So if they have their puppy shots and then a booster at 12 months and then they go on to a three-year schedule. But, yes, you're right, as they get older, maybe there's other things that you need to be checking and maybe if they go into an environment that's, you know, got a lot of parvovirus, for instance, and it's or there's been a dog with parvo there in the last two years, that makes it a, a risky environment. Um, but checking them for all those other things as well. So you can talk to your vet about that, and they will. Uh, there is a blood test that you can get done as well to check to check for immune levels against these diseases. But in most cases, once you add up the expense and so on, people just go for the the vaccination. So, all right. That answers that answers okay, the question. 
Great. Thank you. Thanks, Diane. It sounds as though that's one of the things that is basically changing a little as far as sure. practice is concerned, right? Yeah, at the sure. And we just want to make sure that in you know, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater that we say, Oh, we're gonna to go to a three year schedule and then in three years' time people come in and we say, Well, if you brought him in last year we would have been able to fix this other problem. So we've got to keep having a checkup, as we should for ourselves, you know, you go to the doctor and the dentist and everything. Make sure you're healthy. Do the same for your pets. Sounds good. Mm. Now, do we have a winner for our caller? Because we're just about at the end of our program at the moment. Sure. Well, uh, Stan rang in with a very interesting topic about sebaceous glands. And um, so he's got this 17-year-old Kelpie. Uh, so we'll, we've got a book, First Aid for Dogs. So Stan will... Um, have we got his phone number? Or no, do we we'll have to ask oh, Stan to ring Better back give in. us a call back. Yes, ring us give us a ring back, Stan. on 49216216 and, uh, and we'll tell you how you can get your hands on your prize mm. as we come to the end of Pet Chat today. Thank you, David Tabrett. Thank you, Jane. And thank you, Danny Boss. See in, you next time. We'll be back next Friday after the 12 o'clock news on 2NURFM.